welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. Good morning, Bethlehem Covenant Church. Thanks for joining us here on this November 20th. This week coming up is Thanksgiving, and boy, we sure hope you and pray you have a great time with family or friends or just even you alone with God, giving thanks for the things that God has done in your life. Um, we've uh, celebrate uh, this this tonight at seven o'clock. If you'd like to join us here at the church downstairs, we have um, some dessert. We have communion together. We have a worship service down there where we're going to hear four different people share their testimonies of God's God working in their life in different ways. And it's just a wonderful way to kind of kick off Thanksgiving week. Join us tonight at seven o'clock if you would like want to thank you all for the gifts of those Christmas shoe boxes we did. We turned in 96 of them this week. Uh, some of our kids from midweek, they put together a whole bunch too and, and sent them off. And, and so we thank you for your generosity. This next Sunday coming up here on the 27th, we kick off Advent Christmas season. And uh, so we will begin having the uh, services at church with the beautiful Christmas hymns and uh, families lighting the Advent candles, counting down the weeks till until we remember Jesus was born. And uh, so all of those things begin this coming Sunday at our church. We will also have a tree up in the entranceway with a bunch of ornaments on it with different gifts that you can buy for different foster families uh, that are in our community. It's one of the things we do every year. And so if you would like to come in and grab an ornament and purchase that particular item and bring it back to us, we give them out to the families. We also give out uh, stockings uh, to the residents of Waverly Care Center. And uh, so we have probably about 50 of those. And you can take them and fill them up with things to hand uh, out to the people at Waverly Care Center. Uh, We will hand those out and carol for them uh, on uh, December 14th. And you can join us for that if you would like. Or just drop off the stocking here and we'll bring it with us when we go. Um, But we hope that you're doing well, and we pray that you are. If there's anything we can ever do for you in prayer, please give a call here to myself and Jessica at the church office, and uh, we would love to be of any assistance. Uh, Today, we continue on in our Gospel of John series. We're going to look at John chapter 8, verses 1 to 12 today. And so if you have your Bibles, follow along with me. John 8, 1 to 12, it says this. But when Jesus went to the Mount of Olives at dawn, he appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down, and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down, and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began, one at a time, to walk away. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now 
and leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Oh, the incredible mercy of God displayed for us in the face and the actions of Jesus Christ. First thing we need to know about this story of a woman dragged before Jesus, accused, was that this was often how justice was carried out back in ancient times. Rabbis were also judges and teachers of the law, and so people would go to them with legal matters to settle disputes. Now, in our story, this particular crowd is going to Jesus, not genuinely, but to trap him. I would say to force his hand. For remember that in previous chapters that we've looked at, they're starting to conspire for ways uh, to deal with Jesus, either to kill him or to take away his respect from the people. So here we see what they have come up with as part of their plan. They're going to trap Jesus. In their mind, they're giving him a no-win situation. For if Jesus says, yes, the Bible says stone her for that sin, then Jesus now becomes in trouble with Romans because they forbid Jews carrying out any type of death sentence. And so Jesus could be arrested by them. If Jesus says, don't stone her, then he is showing himself to be soft on the law and the Jews would see him as not following Torah. This is all a big trap. You know, and I kind of feel like this can happen even today in our own lives. Maybe not as intentional like this, but I can feel the stress at times of if I take this position on this issue, these people are going to crucify me. If I take this other side, then another group is going to hate me. If I believe this to be biblical, then this group thinks I'm not loving. If I believe this is what you're supposed to do, then this group thinks I'm not following the Bible. I know it's different, but still I feel that we are divided today in our world more than ever as Americans, as believers, maybe even divided in our families over many different things. And whatever decision you make is going to upset somebody. Well, in our story, somewhere in the middle of this whole debate, this trap is a real woman who is like a pawn in the whole thing. And her life hangs in the balance of a political debate. And here is Jesus. What is he going to say? What is he going to do? How is he going to rule? Well, at first we read that he doesn't say anything. He just bends down and writes something in the sand. Now, there are a lot of opinions as to what Jesus writes in the sand. But the truth is, we just don't know what he wrote. It doesn't tell us. If God wanted us to know what Jesus wrote, he would have told us. But he doesn't. It's left a mystery. But what is not a mystery is what Jesus does say. As they continue to press him, he stands up and he says, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And one at a time, the Bible tells us, they all begin to drop their stones and leave. Jesus handled this absolutely perfectly. Like Jesus always does. He shows the perfect balance of grace and truth. Jesus doesn't dismiss the law or the truth of this woman's sin. But at the same time, he doesn't bless her execution. But instead forces everyone there to examine their own heart, their own sin, their own guilt, 
This is just like what Jesus taught in Matthew 7, 1 to 3. When he said, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And the measure you use will be measured unto you. <laughs> Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank within your own? Here is a big example of that teaching. Jesus is asking each one to think about their own sin and how they would like to be treated if they were in her place. Everyone drops their stone, and the woman is left alone with Jesus. And remember now that Jesus is God, the Word made flesh. His judgment is God's judgment, perfect and holy. And so in this moment, when confronted with a sinful woman, Jesus had the power and the right to condemn her, for her sin is against him. Remember what David prayed in Psalm 51? After he realizes his sin, his adultery with Bathsheba, David prays in Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgression and cleanse me of my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David reminds all of us here that our sin is first a sin against God. We have broken his command. Every sin is a sin against God. And only he is able to forgive that sin and cleanse us from it. And so this is what we see in our story. Jesus never says this woman is innocent. She isn't. She is guilty of breaking God's commands. She has sinned against God by committing adultery. This is not in question. What is in question is how God is going to respond to her. And that is what we read here. That instead of punishment by death, Jesus saves her life. Not only does he step in and stop others from killing her, but when left alone with her, he who had the power and the right to condemn her for her sin, instead said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. God's mercy triumphed over judgment. Jesus is the rightful judge of our life. And here we see he chose to save her. The word mercy is a big word. It means that you're guilty, but the person you've sinned against doesn't give you what you deserve, but shows you love instead. You have wronged them, but they forgive you and release you from that guilt. You have hurt them, but they don't repay you, but show you kindness instead. This is mercy. Whenever I talk about mercy, I love to mention the show Les Miserables. It has been a favorite of mine since I was in junior high, and my family went to see the play for the first time, and I loved it the first time. And I often refer to a scene in Les Miserables that I believe is the main point of the whole play. The turning point. It happens right at the beginning when a convicted criminal, Jean Valjean, is released from jail only to find the harsh world won't forgive him and accept him back in it. 
Even though he has served his time, he finds no mercy or help from a world that still condemns him. All the doors are shut to him except for one, the church, and a humble pastor who invites him in to stay with him at his house. Please, Lord, I pray that we are that church. The church was the open door. But here's where love is truly seen. For even after the pastor took him in and fed him and gave him a bed, the criminal Jean Valjean in the middle of the night reverts back to his old ways. And while the pastor is sleeping, the man sneaks downstairs and begins to steal all the china and whatever he could find from the pastor's house. The pastor, hearing a noise, walks downstairs to catch the man in the act of stealing. And the thief strikes the pastor over the head and knocks him out cold on the ground and leaves with all of his things. The next day, a knock on the pastor's door. The police had caught the thief trying to run away with all of the goods. And the thief had lied and told the police that the pastor had given him these things. The police laugh as they retell the story to the pastor. But the pastor listens. And when the pastor sees the man in chains that he had welcomed in, he does this remarkable, unthinkable thing. He tells the police that what the man had told them is true. He had given him all the silver. And in fact, two silver candlesticks as well, which the man had forgotten to take. The police were shocked and say, seriously, you gave him these things? You're not going to accuse him? And the pastor says, I am not. I gave them to him. Let him go. And so the police have no choice but to unbind the man and leave. And it was suddenly just the pastor and the thief now standing there together alone. And the thief knew he was guilty. He knew what he had done. He doesn't understand why the pastor is still being kind and good to him when he had struck him on the head and taken his things. Was this man really going to let him go? In that moment, the pastor was doing the very thing that Jesus did for the woman caught in adultery. In that moment, the pastor was being Jesus to someone else. He embraced that thief. He gave him the silver candlesticks. And then looking into the eyes of that man, he said, Now leave this life of sin and become a new man that you can be. And in that moment, something entered that man's heart that had not been there before. Love. Grace. And the thief is reborn. And he does Become a new man. Romans 2.4 says, God's kindness leads to repentance. Mercy 
is that mixture of grace and truth that Jesus brings so perfectly. It is not grace without truth. It is not truth without grace. It is both grace and truth. For this woman is in our story is guilty. That is the truth. She was caught in the act. Jesus tells her to leave her life of sin. But he also says, I don't condemn you. Jesus releases her from the punishment of sin as only he can because he knew that upon the cross he would pay the price for that sin as only he could. Grace and truth come to us in Christ. This story of the woman caught in adultery is a powerful picture of the mercy of God for sinners like us. You know, there are many of these stories of forgiveness and grace that we find in the Gospels. I think of the parable of the prodigal son, the young man who dishonors his father and takes his inheritance early and squanders it away with prostitutes and indulgence and then ends up poor and alone and starving only to realize the error of his ways and return home. The father, seeing his son a long way off, runs out to embrace him. The son has prepared a big speech of, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I know that I've ruined any chance to be your son, but can I at least be a hired hand? But the son isn't even able to get into his speech. The father would have none of it. He is just happy to have his son back. The son doesn't understand how his dad could be so loving just like the thief in Les Miserables, just like the woman caught in adultery, the world doesn't show that kind of love. The son knows his guilt and is overwhelmed by the grace of his father. In that story, Jesus said, this speaks of your father in heaven and how he treats each and every one of us when we seek him. In the story of the prodigal son, we also see the big brother who is like us in too many ways, for we like to see our little brother punished for what they have done, you know, and we think we deserve better. And so the big brother wasn't happy for the father's grace and sharing with the younger son. The big brother in the prodigal story is in a way like the crowd who brings the woman caught in adultery. They want to see her stoned to death. The big brother reveals how we can forget that we are sinners too, and whatever we judge should be the woman's penalty will become our penalty. Whatever Jesus decides is her fate will become our fate because we are just as guilty as her. You see, we all love grace when we need it, but resist grace when we're asked to give it. Many Bible teachers believe that the woman caught in adultery is the same woman who would later enter a dinner party that Jesus is at and anoint his feet with her perfume and tears and wipe them with her hair. Many believe it's the same woman from our story, the woman caught in adultery whom Jesus has mercy on. Many believe it was her who came back to Jesus to show her appreciation and washed his feet in this powerful way of worship and love and in that story, the Pharisee whose house it was didn't like that she was there. He did not like that she was in his house. To him, she was and always will be just a sinful woman. And how could Jesus let 
her touch him. To this, Jesus would speak about true forgiveness and how a person who's been forgiven much loves much. But there are so many stories like this within the Gospels of a person caught in the act of a person who is guilty, being shown mercy. I think about Peter denying the Lord three times, but when Jesus sees him after the resurrection, there's only love. I think of Jesus praying on the cross for those who put him there. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Think about all of these examples of mercy. So again, I just want all of us not to miss this truth. That the prodigal son was guilty of sin. He did evil. He broke God's commands. He dishonored his father, which in the book of Leviticus was also punishable by death. But instead of death, the father showed him love, receives his son back with open arms. The tax collector, Zacchaeus, also sinned. He stole a lot. He treated God's people terribly. But when Jesus saw him, he, he entered his house, showed him kindness before Zacchaeus even changed. But it was that kindness that entered Zacchaeus' own heart and caused him to give back more than double of everything that he had stolen. The prostitute, another example, she had sin. She was living like she shouldn't be living. She was breaking God's commands about sex. She was guilty. This is not in question. But as James 2.13 says, mercy triumphed over judgment. For that is what this story is all about and what the life of Jesus would reveal to all of us. This story is not about a woman wrongfully accused. It's about a guilty woman shown mercy by God. Jesus shows mercy and invites the crowd to be merciful as well, to drop their stones Mercy is the focus of this story and what's we, what we all need in our sin. It's what God has shown all of us in Christ. For we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Mercy is what we've received from Christ. And mercy is what he asks us to show others. Both of these points are being pointed out in our scripture for today. Now, every time I go to Israel, I bring home rocks, you know, stones. Over the years, I have given them all away, dozens and dozens of rocks packed in my suitcase. I've given them all away, except for I was able to find two smaller ones uh, that I still had in my office. And, but they remind me of my first trip to Israel back in 2006. Uh, I very much remember the first rock I picked up from the old streets of Jerusalem and put in my backpack. I was walking along there in Jerusalem on the tour, and, and I don't have any memory of, of what the tour guide was saying to us at that time. I was just walking along. My, my eyes were looking down at my feet as I was walking, and I saw this, this rock, this stone there, about the size of my fist, and I reached down, and I picked it up, and held it, and it was hard, and it was pointy, and, and I just remember in that moment, this story of the woman caught in adultery just popped right into my head as I'm walking along, and, and I remember thinking about this story and how people picked up rocks like that one ready to kill a person with a rock, and, and I thought about the horror of that for a moment. And then all of a sudden, instead of that woman 
they were going to kill. I found myself in that story and it was me. I found myself there as I was the sinner. Whom Jesus stepped in and saved. I was the one guilty of breaking God's commands my whole life. Many times over. And I just suddenly saw myself in the place of that woman. And walking along, I just started to cry. You know, sometimes we as Christians can be, we can be Christians so long that we forget that we are sinners who he has loved and forgiven and continues to love and forgive every day. We mess up every day. It is only by the grace of God that we live. And I just remember holding that rock in my hand as I walked those streets of Jerusalem. And in that moment, it became so personal and so real. As the crowd dropped their stones and left, the woman left alone with Jesus. And Jesus said, is no one left to condemn you? And, and imagine this woman. She was dragged there. She, who knows what she was wearing, if, if much of anything at all. And the, the shame of that and then being accused in front of the whole town and, and the certainty that she was going to die. And then suddenly she wasn't. And all the yelling stops and all the accusers gone. And she's just alone with Jesus. It's just her and Jesus. And he speaks to her. And I believe when you look upon the face of Jesus, you are looking upon the face of God. And when you look upon the, the face of God, boy, not only do you see the love of God looking back at you, but you clearly see all of your own unworthiness. All your sin is present and his presence, I believe, is made known. You know, I think of the story of Peter on the boat with a miraculous catch of fish. When he realizes who Jesus is, it says that he immediately falls to his knees and he says, away from me, Lord, I'm a sinner in the presence of God. I think you not only see the immense love of God, but you also see all of your unworthiness, the reality of his holiness and your own sin. And so can you imagine this woman alone with Jesus, just her and Jesus in that moment, looking upon the face of God, knowing her sin, knowing she was caught in the act, and then hearing him say, I don't condemn you. You are free to go. Just leave this sin behind. Well, on the streets of Jerusalem, as I'm walking there, this whole thing is just becoming so personal and real to me. I realized that the woman in the story was me and you. She represents all of us. And I saw that day that the reason that Jesus could tell her, I don't condemn you, is because he already knew that he would be condemned in her place, in my place. He would take that woman's sin with him to the cross. He would take my sin and yours, our million sins. And that is why we get to go free because he died in our place. And until you see that, it's all just religion. Until you see that and know that, not just in your head, but right in your heart, you will continue to pick up stones to throw at others because you just don't get it. What he has done for you, your sin, no cleaner than theirs. We're all under the same conviction. What we do will now be done to us. Once you see that, you can no longer throw stones. Once you see that you will know the love of God in the face of Christ and nothing will matter anymore but him your faith no longer a religion but a response to the incredible mercy that has been shown to you Romans 8 1 says thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord for there is now no condemnation 
for those in Christ Jesus, because through Christ, the law, the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and it was weakened by my sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. I don't condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. And I, and I love the second part of that too, because Jesus is releasing her to live a brand new life. She doesn't have to go back to that old life of sin. She gets to live differently from now on, to start a whole new story. Like Jean Valjean, no longer to be asleep, no longer for her to sleep around. We're forgiven and are now able to go and live a life by the Spirit with Jesus. To do good instead of evil. To walk with God instead of in darkness. To help instead of hurt. To obey instead of sin. He will help us. He makes all things new. This is part of the, the greatness of this story, you see. It's not just that she was freed from the penalty of sin, but freed to now live a brand new life, take on a whole new identity as a child of God. She's got a new start. Romans 12.1 says, In view of God's mercy, offer yourselves up. His living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We should never cheapen the mercy and grace of God. It is free, but we shouldn't abuse it. We are not to willfully sin and, and believe no consequence. That's not the story here. The mercy of God that saves us now calls us to go live a holy life with him. I want to mention that sometimes people, you know, quote this scripture and they say, well, that means, you know, we're, we're never supposed to tell somebody else that what they're doing is wrong. Who are we to throw a stone? And, and that's not really what it means, you know. We are still called within scripture to lovingly, you know, tell the truth to other believers and help them see what they're doing is contrary to God's word. We, we must do that. I mean, this isn't saying you should never speak up. We need that. I need that. You need to be able to tell me when I'm doing something that I shouldn't be doing and, and I need to listen and, and you should listen if I come to you in love and say, you know what, it, what we're doing is not lining up with God's word. We, we need that for us as well. But the last part of our scripture that I want to just quickly mention in closing is, is that Jesus here says right afterwards, he says, I'm the light of the world. In a dark world that's lost its way, Jesus is saying, I'm the light. If people would listen and follow me, they'll never walk in darkness again, but they'll have the light of life. In the Bible, light is often connected to truth. John 8, 31, Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you're my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Light and truth are often interchangeable in the Bible. Jesus brought the truth. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says the devil has minded the blind of unbelievers so that they can't see the truth. But God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light and knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so you see, we have this idea that in the world there is this darkness, blindness, confusion, hopelessness. People are lost. We all get lost sometimes, not knowing who we are or where we come from or what matters. We forget what's important. We lose our way. But into this darkness, God sent his son who came to show us the way, to shine the truth, to show the path, to heal the heart, help us know who God really is and what his word truly means and what our life as his children should really look like. Jesus is the light of the world. And there have been times in my life 
where I felt like I was in a fog or a dark room. Sometimes I just couldn't find my way or I had lost hope or just didn't see a way out. And, and it can be a, a scary place to be in. We all get lost sometimes. Sometimes we're lost and we don't realize that everybody else can see, man, we're going down a path we shouldn't be on. And we get lost even in that. But Jesus begins to show us the way, the truth, and the life again. And starting next Sunday, we, we begin Advent. And Advent is the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And each week we light a candle in the sanctuary and talk about the birth of Christ and how light has come into the darkness. And, and the word Advent really is the dawning of a new day. Into a dark night, you see that sun starting to come up and it's a brand new day. And this is what happened when Jesus was born. Everything was about to change. The darkness that reigned would be overcome. And so I just want to encourage you in that as we end today is to think about this Christmas season, the light come into the darkness. Think about the sins that you may have still kind of in the dark that you need to let the Lord shine upon and rid you of. Maybe think about some of the hopelessness or depression that you struggle with at times and the dark days that you can't see a way out. And remember that Jesus is our hope and he's the light that shows us that there is goodness and that there is a future and all of that that we have with him. Maybe you don't know what you're supposed to do next and it's a confusion and it's a loss. You're kind of walking in darkness, not knowing what your next step should be in a particular area. Well, remember the Lord is your shepherd and he will show you step by step, day by day, that which you need to know. He is the light of the world. Whoever follows him will never have to walk in darkness, but will have the light of life guiding and leading them every day. This is how we are to be in the world, to be with Jesus his mercy new every morning, and his faithfulness day by day. Have a wonderful Sunday and a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church's ministries and events, head to bccwaverly.org.